Megan, thank you uh, for sharing uh, that song with us. We do pray that Jesus makes new wine out of each one of us. As we uh, go into this, uh, this sermon, uh, we are picking back up in the sermon series, Faithful. He never fails, and he won't stop now. Today we're going to be in Psalm 57. Psalm 57, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, uh, you can read along with us. We'll be reading the whole uh, psalm together. Psalm 57. We'll take note that there's a lot of information about the psalm uh, right there at the very beginning. For the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy. I know you guys don't know that song. I don't either. But it is of David, a victim, specifically when he fled from Saul into the cave. So let's read about this uh, psalm. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster is past. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and he saves me. And he rebukes those who hotly pursue me. He sends his love. He sends his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be over all the earth. They, they spread a net for my feet. I, I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit for my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. And my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will make music. I will sing. Awake, my soul. Harp. A liar, awake, I will wake in the dawn. And I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For your great love, it reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness, it reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. And let your glory be over all of the earth. And God's people say. Amen. Let's bow our heads as we... Go to this exalted God. And what can we say, O Lord, except that your name is great, your power is beyond our belief, your love, your faithfulness, your goodness, your mercy, it stretches to all the world. And so you deserve the praise. You deserve to be exalted. And this morning, we exalt you, we praise you and we ask humbly that you will speak to our hearts as we open your word. That is our simple prayer, Lord, that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in seventh grade, I had to walk to and from school. Now, as I remember those times, I remember that it was two or three miles, and I remember that it was uphill both ways. I Googled it, actually, and it was uh, less than a mile. But I guess when I'm in seventh grade, I felt like it was two miles, right? 
Well, anyways, I remember there was this just awful, awful day uh, that, that uh, I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. They, uh, they had this terrible, terrible storm. There was wind. It was raining really hard. The thunder and the lightning, the lightning was bright and the thunder was loud. I got about halfway home with my umbrella and the wind like put it inside out. You know what I'm talking about? We're just whoosh and the umbrella goes inside out. And I remember begging, I, literally begging God for shelter. I considered, uh, I had to walk through a park to get to my house, and I considered just maybe, it, the park didn't have one of those pavilions or I would have sat under there, but I considered maybe just kind of seeing if any of the car doors were open, that I could just sit in a car and just be free from this storm. I was drenched and I was miserable. I even started bargaining with God. God, if you'll make it stop raining, uh, I'll read the Bible every day. I mean, seventh grade. And then it happened. My dad pulled up next to me, and he let me in. <laughs> he took me home. I cannot express to you in words how grateful I was for my dad that day. It was cold. I was scared, I was drenched, I was miserable. The warmth of his truck and that gesture, like seriously, warms my soul even today. That was 30, 30, 31 years ago, 30 years ago. I can still feel it, just the warmth of the shelter. Not all the Psalms have such detailed introductions, right? But we notice in the Psalm that David had written that he had fled from Saul into a cave. And at this point in the story, King David, he had defeated the, the giant. He defeated Goliath, right? He had already been anointed king secretly by Samuel. And he is now serving King David as an instrumentalist who played songs when King Saul had fits of rage, and, and also as a general in his army, and began to have so many great victories that people began to write songs about how great David was, songs about his conquests. David, at this point in the story, had given his whole life to Israel, and quite honestly, his whole life to King Saul, and yet... Saul, in his jealous rage, is hunting David. He's trying to kill David. I'm sure the weight of this broken relationship and constantly being on the run had to cause David to feel like a 12-year-old in the middle of a storm. And yet we read these words. He has these cries for help. And then he says, be exalted, O God. He describes his situation like being among ravenous beasts. And he says, I praise you, Lord. I will sing of you. Be exalted, he says. And this morning, I just kind of want to get into David's head. Like, how... Are you able to say, be exalted, God? When Saul has broken that trust with you, 
and when he's hunting you down. And so if you want to follow along in your notes this morning, I don't have three points, I have four. It's Super Spiritual Sunday, folks. Easter did something to me. We're going to have seven points next week. Come on, church. Write this down. David trusted God when others were untrustworthy. And let me tell you, people can be fickle. And you know who else can be fickle? Please don't take this personally, but Christians can sometimes be a little bit of fickle. Am I right? It's hard sometimes to even know who to trust. And here David is, his king, the one he served, the one he, he killed Goliath for, the one that he was playing when he was in these rage, fits of rage. He'd play these instruments for him, and he just turned on him. He was untrustworthy. And yet God is always trustworthy. We see that in the psalm. You may have heard this story, but after his victory over Antony and Actium, Augustus Caesar came back to Rome in triumph. And the story goes that there was a huge crowd that greeted him, and this one guy who had a bird that he taught to say, Hail Caesar victorious. Caesar was so impressed that he bought that bird for a large sum of money. Someone, though, went to Caesar and said, Hey, that guy has another bird that's just as talented. So the man summoned, told him to show this bird to him. The man didn't want to do it, but Caesar insisted, and the bird said, Hail Antony, victorious. I think he was ready for either one, right? People are fickle. They're hard to trust. And even Christians can be hard to trust. And I think that's why... It's so hard for so many to put their trust in God. Maybe they see the untrustworthy Christian. Maybe they see the untrustworthiness that's in their family or in their friend group. And they ask, maybe God is the same way. And I'm here to tell you this morning that no, he's not. In fact, Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's a commentator on this passage in Hebrews by the name of Albert Barnes. He said, If God were fickle, changing his character and plans, if today he aids people and tomorrow forsakes them, if at one time he loves the virtuous and then another equally loves the vicious, if he formed a plan yesterday and abandoned today, or if he ever is to be different from being who he is now, there'd be no encouragement to effort. Who would know what to depend on? Who would know what to expect tomorrow? But that is not God. He loves the same today, tomorrow, forever. Secondly, this morning, we learn from this passage that David knew that only God could sin save him. David knew that only God could save him. There's a little bit in the Hebrew here, okay? That when he cries out to God, he calls him the most high God. And that, that Hebrew there actually correlates with the God of the Canaanites, who's known as El, simply as El. But David is saying that God should be exalted above all other gods. That's why it's translated the most high 
God. He's saying there is only one God. And if there is anyone or anything in your life that you think is higher than God, you're wrong. Only God is God. Now, broken relationships, they can be very, very difficult, especially if your faith is in anyone or anything other than God. I mean, think about it. If you were sued and your faith was in money and possessions, that adversary could take literally everything from you, right? If you were harmed physically and your faith was in your health, well, that person could take literally everything from you. If you lost a loved one because of an adversary turning them against you, your faith, if it's in your family and your friends, or your loved ones, well, then everything's taken from you. But if your faith is in God, listen to his words. You can lie among the ravenous beasts. He didn't stand among them. He was able to lie among them because he placed his faith in the most high God. Not in money, not in health, not in loved ones, but in God alone. And that's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 that nothing at all, he lists it all, but nothing at all will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? You see, David trusted God when others were untrustworthy. He placed his trust in the Most High God and also, we read here in verse 6 that David believed that the humble would be exalted. He believed in the, the concept that the humble would be exalted. It says that I was bowed down in distress, and those adversaries, they dug a pit for him. Of course, this is metaphorical, but they fell into that pit. And this concept is taught throughout the whole of the Bible. The concept is taught that God exalts the humble, but he brings down those who are prideful. God exalts the humble, but he humbles the proud. You can find this concept repeated over and over in all of the Bible. 2 Samuel, 2 Chronicles, Psalms, Proverbs, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke, James, and 1 Peter. All throughout, God exalts the humble and he humbles the proud. Y'all remember the disciples of James and John? They were known as the sons of Zebedee. Some called them the sons of thunder. They were a fiery pair. Well, they were arguing one day about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Who is going to be the most exalted in the kingdom of God? And in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus kind of gave his disciples of what it's going to look like. He brought a little child to him and he said, Truly I tell you, that unless you change... He's talking to James and John. He's talking to all of his disciples. He's talking to the ones who left their life to follow Jesus. Unless you change and become like little children, you're never going to enter the kingdom of God. You're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
and verse 4. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of a child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. And whoever welcomes one such like a child in my name welcomes me. The first will be last. The last will be first. When you face broken relationships, I think having a humble position truly allows God to exalt you. And here's the final thought. It didn't take nearly as long as you thought it would, did it? I think, I think David understood God's great love. Because David didn't put limits on God's great love, did he? I think the font's getting smaller every time we put it up there. I think when he says your love reaches to the heaven and your faithfulness reaches to the skies, this is David speaking. This is David who would sit out in the wilderness with a sheep. There wasn't the light of Knoxville hovering around. You saw everything, right? And he just imagined. He didn't watch a man walk on the moon. He didn't see pictures of the Mars rover, right? No, he, he looked up in the sky and thought, there is no way anyone or anything could ever reach that far. And yet he said, God's love is beyond that. It's greater than anything we could ever comprehend. In fact, this is how big God's love is. Just, just let this sit in. He loves your adversary. I know it's not comfortable, because I'd rather God love me than my adversary. But he loves us both. He loves us both equally. Do you remember in the story from the psalm? Do you remember when David hid in the cave? Now, the psalm says just in a cave. There were several times that David hid in a cave. Once he, he hid in the cave of Adullam. And that's when he first started out, and people started coming to him and encouraging him in his time. But the next time that it says that David hid in the cave, he was in En Gedi. It was called the Crags of the, of the Mountain or something like that. It was a neat, cute little name there. And they were hiding. Him and all of his posse were hiding. And I don't know if it was luck. It was God directing the path. But Saul had to go pee. And he went inside of the cave to relieve himself. The same cave where David was, was hiding. And, and his buddies were like, David, uh, there he is. He's going to the bathroom. Now's the time to get him. He won't expect you. Now you can kill him. David doesn't. David doesn't. In 1 Samuel 24, verse 6, David actually says, the Lord forbid that I should do anything to my master, the Lord's anointed. This is the guy that is trying to kill him or lay my hand on him, for he is anointed of the Lord. God, guys, David somehow understood that God still loved Saul. David saw firsthand his fits of rage. 
David saw firsthand the ways that he disrespected God when he made that offering instead of waiting for Samuel, when he took a spear and he threw it right at David's head. Yeah. Yet God loved Saul just as much as he loved David. When you face broken relationships, folks, it can feel like the rain is just pouring down. But when we find our shelter in God, that's when we can lie among ravenous beasts. That's when we can understand that he is the most high God, that he can save, that he loves your adversaries. In fact, God values relationships restored, amen? And I'm grateful for that. Because I had this broken relationship with God where I was full of sin, when I was full of fits of rage, when I was full of, of hatred. And yet God, in his love, in his great love, he sent his only son to die. He sent his only son to die. I think about the songs of amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I'm blind but now I can see. There's a band, Shane and Shane, who added the chorus of Amazing Grace to the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And that's the song that we're going to transition into our time of communion, remembering as we think about broken relationships, as we think about what we do in those circumstances, remembering that we had a broken relationship with God. And God fixed that relationship in His Son, Jesus Christ. He forgave us, he loved us, and he restored us to him. As we eat the bread, we're reminded of a body broken. As we drink from the cup, we're reminded of a blood poured out in love. Come to Jesus this morning. Find shelter from the storm. He will restore you to him. Father God, we come this morning... Uh, many of us here, maybe we're, we, we can picture the person in our mind who's our adversary. Maybe we can picture in our mind someone who just seems out to get us. And those broken relationships, Lord, they're weighty. It seems like the whole world is out to get us. But I'm confident that if we can take a position of humility and a position of trust in you, and that we, if we could just comprehend your amazing grace, that maybe we will find the peace that David found in that cave. Help us, Lord, to be more like your son, Jesus Christ, who, even while he was on the cross, said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Help us to love. Help us to show that kind of grace. And our broken relationships help us to bring restoration. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.